The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, it is my pleasure to welcome Mary Stein. She is the Deputy Director of the National Farm to School Network, which is basically a hub or an advocacy organization with representation in all 50 states working towards the vision of a nation in which farm-to-school programs are an essential component of strong and just local and regional food systems. Mary is based in Bozeman, Montana, but again, this is a national program. And before Mary started working with the network, she was actively working at Montana State University with Team Nutrition and with the Sustainable Food and Bioenergy Systems at Montana State in Bozeman. So you bring a long history of classroom teaching and nutrition education and outreach, Mary, and it's my pleasure to welcome you. Thank you, Melinda. Well, I want to know a little bit about Farm to School. When my kids were little, Farm to School did not exist. I wish it had, because it seems like what Farm to School does is just that, bring farm-fresh food into the cafeteria. That's absolutely right. So when we talk about Farm to School, we're really referring to three basic core elements. One is bringing healthy, farm-fresh, locally sourced food into schools. And when I say schools, I'm meaning schools and preschools now. And another major core element of Farm to School is school gardens as experiential classrooms. Mm -hmm. School gardens are providing kids with the opportunity to better understand where their food comes from, what it means to actually grow food, and any time you give the kid an opportunity to plant a seed, water that plant, nurture that plant, you can bet your life they're going to take a bite out of that vegetable that's produced. So that's a great aspect of Farm to School. And the final core element of Farm to School is food education throughout the school environment. So any opportunity you have to connect kids to Farm to School throughout the school environment. Mm -hmm. So when did Farm to School get started? So back in the early 90s, there was just a smattering of schools across the country that were starting to see the need to give kids a real hands-on experiential opportunity to really understand what healthy food was and where it came from. So there were a few parent groups around the country at that time. In about 2007, the National Farm to School Network formed, which was at that time just um, a handful of groups that came together around the same vision of expanding food education for kids and kids' access to healthy local food. So that was 2007. Let's fast forward only seven years. And at this point in time, there's 40,000 schools across the country that have some aspect of farm-to-school programming going on, reaching over 23 million kids across the country. So this has been a movement that has gained traction very quickly, and I think for really good reason. You know, I've been in child nutrition and nutrition education for my whole career, and frankly, farm-to-school, to me, makes the most sense. It's the way that you can really connect kids to understanding about healthy food and really have a great opportunity to influence healthy eating behaviors in kids. It gives them that hands-on understanding. So the Farm to School Network 
as I understand it, is a hub. So it's an organization that brings people together around, say, curricula or evaluation tools. It's not necessarily providing curricula for the different school districts. It's really a hub of information. Is that right? That's totally right, Melinda. And I'm glad you really captured that because that's a really important understanding of what the network is. It's We are. We serve as an information networking and advocacy hub for the farm to school movement. So basically, we connect people to information and resources that are being developed across the country, whether they're curriculum resources, fact sheets about farm to school, how to start a school garden, that type of thing. We have a wonderful website at farmtoschool.org that has a searchable database where people can look up resources to help them get started or move forward with farm to school. We also serve, as I said, as a networking hub. So we connect people to people across the farm to school movement. You mentioned before that we have presence in all 50 states. And our model is that we have a very small national staff that's dispersed around the country. We have a regional lead in eight different geographic regions of the country. And then we have state leads in all 50 states. And it's through this kind of multi-tiered network that we're able to connect people at all levels who are interested in doing farm to school. So if somebody, you know, is in Iowa and has, you know, wants to get started with farm to school at a school in Iowa, they can look on our website, identify who the state lead is in Iowa, and reach out to them to get started. So that's the networking piece. The other area that we serve as a networking hub is that we host a conference every two years, the National Farm to Cafeteria Conference, and connect people across the country in person during that conference. We had 1,100 people this past year in Austin, Texas, for that event. And we also serve as the lead organization nationally for the celebration of Farm to School Month in October. So uh, back in 2010, Congress designated October officially as National Farm to School Month. And so the network actually leads in that celebration and connects people to great ideas about doing hosting events and really raising awareness of Farm to School in October. I am so Finally, oh, go ahead. you mentioned about us being an advocacy hub. We we absolutely serve as a collective advocacy voice to address policy issues that support farm to school at the school level, at the local government level, state level, and federal level. I am so excited to learn about this network because to me, as you mentioned earlier, I think this really is the key to having lasting improvements in child health. And The one take-home message I got after perusing the website, and I will warn our listeners that if you go to -to farmtoschool.org, it is very easy to get lost in terrific data and information. So be prepared to be extremely well entertained and just delightfully enlightened. So I was reading about different components of the program, and I think one of the things that got me so excited was seeing how there's been this evaluation component, right? And this is so important if we want to see funding and program continuation. And what I found was that there were improvements in children's grades and in disciplinary actions. There were declines in the number of children that were acting out, say, just because of the implementation of of components of the farm-to-school program. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that evaluation model and some of the trends that you've seen as improvements as a result of Farm to School. Yeah, certainly. I'd I'd love to talk about this. So a a couple of things. One is that on our website, if you search for specifically under for a National Farm to School Network resource called the Benefits of Farm to School, 
you'll, you'll find a, a really brief document that is a bit of a literature review on how the impacts of farm to school that have been researched thus far. With that said, this movement is in its infancy, and we have a lot of work to do in terms of reaching out more around impact evaluation. What what really are we finding as the primary benefits of farm to school? And as you mentioned, Melinda, there are really many, and we're finding more and more all the time. You know, initially it was looking at children's fruit and vegetable consumption, and, you know, through the experience of school gardens and nutrition education combined with local foods in the cafeteria, we see that, yeah, kids are starting to choose more fruits and vegetables at school, and that behavior is translating to asking uh, improved asking behaviors at home around fruits and vegetables. So a really important outcome. But as you mentioned, you know, it's kind of expanding onto other things. You know, the opportunity to work in school gardens is starting to demonstrate some real benefits in terms of behavioral issues. You know, kids are excited to be at school. There's fewer discipline issues. They're able to be outside in the natural environment a bit more, and we know that's good for kids, that connection to nature, and, and certainly has positive behavioral impacts. So with that said, though, we know that we need a lot more evaluation information. And just about a week ago, the National Farm to School Network released a new resource. It's an evaluation framework for Farm to School. This is a first-ever framework that is looking at this whole movement across many different sectors, across the public health sector, education, environmental resources, and then the impact on um, community economic development. This movement has potential to have impacts in all of these sectors. And so this evaluation framework is providing basically a roadmap for people doing evaluation and research in the farm-to-school movement about what questions to be asking, what outcomes to be looking for, what metrics to be using in the evaluation of this work. Mm -hmm. Well, I went to the farm-to-school census that the USDA has published, and I also want to recommend that to our listeners because it has a lot of extremely impressive data that's easy to walk through. It's an infographic. So in addition to the statistics that you gave about 40,000 schools and 23 million children, there is also additional information about, like, well, how do you define local food? And I guess for every community, it's different. And then what about the economic impact? Because all of a sudden, you've got farmers who have a new market, and they can maybe make a better living or have an alternative to perhaps selling into a commodity market, they can be growing fruits and vegetables for an institution. Yep, that's right. And I, I'm so glad you raised the point of the USDA Farm to School Census. I, I think it's really important that we give major kudos to USDA and specifically the Farm to School team at USDA, which is a recently formed team, actually, following the 2010 Child Nutrition Bill the USDA Farm to School grant program was put in place, and to administer that grant program, they formed a farm to school team at USDA. That team has been doing amazing work, and now there's USDA Farm to School contacts in all of the USDA geographic regions across the country. So really important for sustaining the work of this movement. So USDA conducted this census, and as we mentioned before, found that you know 40,000 schools across the nation are doing this work. But not only, as you mentioned, are the number of schools and the number of kids documented, but the amount being spent on local food and what that impact is for local farmers. And they're finding that they found in this census that $385 million were directed towards local products in the school year 2011-2012. And granted, the total spending is over $3 billion, so it's still 
we have a lot of room to, to grow yeah. in this, but, but having some baseline data is really important, and we know that this is a, a, an important market for local growers. Yeah, I agree. It seems like now we've got a program in place, and it's growing, and it will allow us some time to get more new farmers on the ground to help them support this program. So I really see this as a win-win opportunity for children and the economic benefits of communities. So I'm, I'm very excited to see this. I was also really excited to see that school gardens are, as the report says, sprouting up across the country. And I guess 31% of schools said that they had a garden, and now there are over 2,000 school gardens in place. And I imagine that will only grow as a result of seeing the impact data. Right, right. I, I think you, you raise a really good point. And, and for me, school gardens really are one of the shining lights of this whole farm to school movement and it because it's not just about the healthy local food it's about that full experience for the child that ability to see how food grows to actually develop a personal connection through the experiential learning with healthy food and with you know a true understanding of the whole agricultural process so many of us are so far removed from that in today's world where you know your food comes from the grocery store and that ability to really have that experience in a garden is one that makes that personal connection that will last a lifetime for children. Mm-hmm. I agree. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Mary Stein, and she is the Deputy Director of the National Farm to School Network, and you are listening to Food Sleuth Radio. And I should have let our listeners know that you have a master's degree in nutrition science, and so a lot of the things that you're seeing as a result of the Farm to School program, we've learned in the classroom, and I think the beauty of this program is that it's bringing it to life. And as you also know, one of the biggest challenges that I hear all the time, and I'm sure you do as well, and that is the issue of economics and the fact that, yeah, we want to feed our families well, we want more fresh food in our classrooms and our homes, but you know that costs so much and school budgets are so tight. And I'm assuming that that's one of the challenges that schools face, but I want you to help me understand a little bit more about the challenges to the program as well as this economic piece. Yeah, this is a really important area. We know that school budgets overall are schools struggle with staying in the black, you know, in whether, you know, in terms of their budgets that address, you know, salaries for teachers, the resources for the school, the infrastructure of the school, and then there's the school meals program. So there's not a lot of extra money from the general fund that operate on to actually contribute to the school meals program. So most of the school food service programs need to function as a, an entity that keeps itself in the black through its own revenue sources and expenditures. So with that said, the school food programs are funded largely through the federal child nutrition programs that come down through the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And at this point in time, the, the reimbursement levels for school meals are they they're improving a little bit but they are still very low so basically for a child that's receiving a free meal in school that school is reimbursed two dollars and 98 cents for that child's meal when you look at labor costs overhead costs infrastructure costs the cost of kitchen equipment all of that the materials needed it leaves about a dollar left in many cases for the to be spent on food. 
when we start looking at the cost of healthy food, we all know it, it costs a little bit more to eat really healthfully in this country. So it does create quite a conundrum for that child nutrition director in, in schools across the country trying to put really healthy foods on the trays for children at school, but really being constrained by very tight budgets. And it's happening. There's some amazing champions across the country, and I, I think that is something we have to acknowledge, the, the dedication and the creativity that exists among child nutrition staff at schools across the country is phenomenal, but they are really working under extreme budgetary constraints. Well, when the school has a garden, I can only assume that that would help reduce some of the burden on the schools. Can the schools use some of the produce that's produced in the garden in the cafeteria? Yeah, they, they are allowed. It's, it's not restricted. You know, they, it's not that they can't use it in the cafeteria. The issue there is that typically school gardens don't produce the volume that's mm-hmm. needed in the cafeteria. So in most schools, the garden produce is used in taste tests or some sort of a, a sampling of produce. It's not typically integrated into the school meal menu, basically because the volume isn't high enough. Mm-hmm. What other challenges do you see happening at the school level? Hmm, great question. You know, I think as largely related to budgetary cuts and such, you know, there's also the issue of curriculum priority, you know, the mm-hmm. the testing around certain disciplines and the ability to actually create space for health and nutrition education to be taught at school. That's always a challenge. You know, we see the kids, the number of hours that they're engaging in physical activity at school going down, so that's certainly a challenge when we're trying to look at that healthy, overall healthy school environment and where kids can thrive. But I would say those those are probably a couple of things that bubble to the top. Yeah. Well, I think there are um, new USDA grant dollars, too, being made available to help schools perhaps purchase equipment. I remember some friends of mine were actually purchasing online school equipment, like big mixers and things, which were sort of being phased out because the schools had moved towards, you know, heat and serve kinds of meals. And now I see this pendulum swinging back, thank goodness for the health of our kids, that more from scratch cooking is going on. And, And that has to be more rewarding for the kitchen staff. You know, how boring would it be to just heat and serve versus being creative in the kitchen and, and whipping up things that the kids are involved in and really enjoy? Yeah, you're absolutely right that over time the pendulum swung toward that direction of just heat and serve um, kitchen infrastructure and in that we're recognizing the importance of the from scratch cooking back in the school environment. But with that does come challenges, not just in terms of the kitchen equipment and the kitchen infrastructure, but also the staffing and the staff training. So that is something I know National School Food Service Management Institute does a lot of trainings on scratch cooking for school cafeteria staff. It's a great resource across the country. And you did mention that there was some funding from the federal level that was coming into school kitchen infrastructure. And that was the case for a, a period of time, there was some funding coming in, but that is not so much available right now. But I, there is a current marker bill before Congress called the School Food Modernization Act that Pew Charitable Trust was part of putting that forth. 
and it is specifically for exactly what you're saying, which is additional funding for kitchen infrastructure to return more kitchens in schools across the country to scratch cooking. That's fantastic. You know, one of the issues that we had spoken about before our interview that I thought was so important, and it also touched on the cost issue, and that is that there is perfectly good produce that is grown, but it's seen as being imperfect visually. So it's considered to be a produce second. And you were telling me how schools now are, some of them are being very creative in purchasing some of those seconds. You know, a second a tomato, for example, makes a perfectly fine sauce, as long as it's not moldy, or a peach that has, you know, that isn't a perfectly round peach and maybe can't be sold in a supermarket or might be rejected by a supermarket, might be taken in by a a school cafeteria and made into peach pie or peach cobbler or something like that. Yep, you're absolutely right, Melinda. This is a real win-win for both farmers and for schools. So farmers are always looking for a market for their less-than-perfect products. Perfectly safe, perfectly edible, perfectly delicious, but may have some visual aspect to them that may not be perfect. So the retail market is typically not where they can go with that. Schools are looking for that lower price point. This is a, this is a perfect win-win situation, and there are some school districts that are actively looking at that seconds market and integrating those seconds into their menus. Minneapolis Public Schools is a perfect example. There's a a wonderfully innovative child nutrition director, Bertrand Weber, at Minneapolis Public Schools, and he will advocate in a second how important seconds are to integrating healthy local produce into his program. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to meet him. He is absolutely a national leader. And I'm mm-hmm. sure we can direct our listeners again to the Farm to School Network website and we can find some of these gems, these people who are really leading the way. Well, I want to give you an opportunity, Mary, to just talk a little bit about the program that maybe I, I haven't brought forth. Are there some aspects of the program that you want to make sure our listeners know about? Yeah, you know, I think one thing that I'd I'd love to address for the listeners is looking at the whole school food supply chain and thinking about it through that local lens and looking at some of the challenges that exist right now. And I'm going to give an example here. We are finding that there's producers, local farmers, who want to get their product into schools, and we're finding that there are schools that want to get local product from local farmers, but there's some, there's a little bit of gap in the middle there where there may not be an aggregation system from, to collect produce from several different small farms that provide the volume needed for the school. There may not be the minimal processing needed to cut carrots into carrot coins so they can be integrated into the school food program. So where we're seeing some real gems is where that middle piece is being filled in. And I can give you a great example from right here in Montana. We have this wonderful group called the Western Montana Growers Co-op, which is a group of small family farms that aggregate product together and have a common marketing and distribution system. And then we have several schools and universities that are trying to get this product from this farmers co-op into their institutions. So this middle group called the Mission Mountain Market Food Enterprise Center has filled that gap in the middle where they are taking the product from the farmer's co-op, minimally processing it, putting it into the form that can be used in that institutional cafeteria, 
and making that connection that, that creates that bridge between the growers and the institutional market. It's a beautiful model, and this food hub model is really starting to emerge as an important one across the country. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're not only benefiting children's health and their ability to function well in school, but you're also creating jobs and creating a more secure food system. Absolutely. You know, and I, I think this is honestly, Melinda, where what drives me in this work more than anything is that reinvigoration of that community-based food system yeah. so that you're seeing the benefit not only in people's ability to access healthy locally sourced food, but also in the community economic development. You're having the dollars spent on food circulating more in that local economy, creating jobs, creating a stability throughout the community and an appreciation and and value of agriculture in the community. Yeah, you know, and I think going back to your previous work at Montana State with looking at sustainable and bioenergy, we have to see the problem that we're facing with regard to our energy stores and the fact that we've got this huge drought out in California, we've got climate change. If we don't have more regional food systems, I don't believe that we can depend any longer on food that is being shipped hundreds of miles across the country. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there um, we need to be, as I said, kind of reinvigorating that local and regional food system base. I don't, you know, ever envision a world where we're not going to have a large global food system. That'll always be part of the equation. Yeah. But I think, you know, finding that balance between solely a large centralized global food system and a also a local and regional system that can complement it is really important. I mean, I, for one, I, I love... Having my Florida oranges in the middle of the winter, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I appreciate that and it's something that I've become spoiled with, right? But mm-hmm. I also know that, that that could go away and I want the agriculture and the food grown in my local and regional area to be something that continues for generations to come. Well, I want to let our listeners know about the website again, and it's simply farmtoschool.org, and there's a map that comes up, and you can click on your state, find your state leader, and click on all kinds of resources to get started. Is that right, Mary? Is that is that how you'd say that that's the best way for people who are interested in learning more to go to the website, find out, you know, click on their state on the map, and then get channeled into their own local networks? That's absolutely right. So, yeah, your state lead within your own state can connect you to folks within your geographic area that are do- working on farm to school. Also on the website, too, though, you if you want to just look for particular resources, you can go to the searchable database and do keyword searches, topical searches there. There's also a news section of the website that has blogs on current events and topical things of topical interest. There's a policy section of the website for those of you interested in policy levers to in moving farm to school forward. So lots of different aspects to the website. And I do want to say, too, that with October being Farm to School Month, there is a section of the website dedicated to Farm to School Month as well. 
Well, Mary, I want to thank you so much. We've been speaking with Mary Stein. She is based in Bozeman, Montana. However, she is the deputy director of the National Farm to School Network. And again, that website is simply www.farmtoschool.org for more information. In closing, I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. I want to thank our listeners for joining us, and I want to thank you, Mary, so much for explaining this program and getting people interested and involved. Thank you, Melinda. It was a pleasure.